Welcome to Tish and Piffle, the All Expenses Spared podcast. We weren't really sure any of us had the stamina to go another round, but the bell sounded. The gum shield's been shoved into our mouths, the stool whipped out of the ring, and here we are, staggering onto the ropes to take even more punishment. I knew a bloke once who, he had this sort of act where his ringtone on his phone was the bell you hear ringing at a boxing match, and I think he actually recorded it at one of the big fights he went to see. And if he was at the bar in a pub, say, or at the table of a restaurant, he'd sometimes set his ringtone off on his phone, and you'd hear this really loud bell, and he'd stand up and pretend to throw punches. And absolutely, inexplicably to me, everybody around always laughed, like people in the pub all laughed, and he said to me once... It's a dead cert laugh, mate. You try it one time. And so I did at this pub. He let the ringtone off and it went ding, ding really loudly. And I stood up and pretended to spar with an imaginary opponent. And nobody laughed at all. Literally no one. They just stared at me like I was an absolute idiot. And he sort of shook his head. And I still don't know how he did it. And Talking of straining to get a laugh, let me introduce the others. They are Alice, Sean and Dave, and I'm Derek. Um, Guys, we're in England for the benefit of our international listeners. Quarantine's sort of partially been lifted. Has anyone taken advantage of their newfound mini-freedom at all? Well, I went for a socially distanced walk with one of my friends today, who lives not very far from me. Uh, So that was really nice. We kept a two metre distance at all times, I hope, even though it's quite difficult to do, actually. So maybe at times it might have been 1.5, but uh, we didn't take a metre stick with us each, which I think was probably the mistake there. Uh, So next time I see him, I think we might try and uh, bring our metre sticks along to make sure we definitely stick to the distance. I saw a fantastic thing on, um, I think it was Facebook, where uh, I think it was in uh, the Netherlands and people were sitting outside um, having their like hot chocolate or coffee or whatever you drink uh, in Amsterdam and um, they had like noodle hats you know those things that you use in the pools like they actually had hats with noodles on them to like keep their two metre distance so maybe you could try one of those next time Oh, well, so as journalists, you'll be disappointed here because I looked into this at work and uh, a reporter set it up as an experiment. So it wasn't actually real. Well, you could actually be the first person to start it in the UK then. You could could have the first legitimate noodle hat. Yeah. I don't have a noodle. I have to get get a noodle. Shocking. (laughs) I think surely, as we are British, we should merely march around with umbrellas and hold an umbrella out to our side, which will be two umbrellas touching should be the requisite distance. Oh, yeah, it's very British, isn't it? Exactly. I like that. Someone said that apparently two metres is actually um, one Richard Osman. So if you just imagine him lying down, then that is exactly two metres. Oh, we could get a cardboard cutout of him, couldn't we? Take it I'd advise that. He's that massive. I, I saw him once. He's, he's, he's about seven foot. That's more than two metres, isn't it? Oh, if you're listening, could you, uh, Richard, could you let us know how tall you are? Just so we can check. He could be one of our listeners because all I have not done very much this week, but I, I did go through the um, the information, the analytics to find out that we had at least one person listening to us in 19 countries, uh, including Malaysia, Bulgaria and one in Afghanistan. So amazing! Well, I just wanted to say I'm very grateful to them, especially the ones that chose to listen twice. They've really got some kind of fortitude going there. That's We've my got- mother. 
Not in <laughs> Afghanistan, Dave. Surely, what's she doing there? She shipped her out as soon as lockdown started. <laughs> also, we've not that we are terribly organised, as you can tell by the general level of conversation, but we have got a Twitter page now. You can always write with exciting questions for us to give not so exciting answers to, to them if you wish. What's the handle? What's the handle for the Twitter account? Because we should promote it to get people to follow it. Really, most person know what is it, it is. Just yeah. at, at oh, Tish and at Tish and Piffle, yeah. Cool. Everyone follow us so we have more than one follower, which is probably my mum or something. We've got 23, which is, I think, quite exciting. I mean, yeah, I was about to say it's, it's more like 19, isn't it? Because <laughs> 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 you forced the rest of us to follow you. We've gained many things in lockdown, a sense of perspective on what's important in life, in other words, the people we love and haven't been able to see properly or hug, a greater appreciation maybe of the wonderful NHS and carers on the front line. I've also uh, enjoyed some of the humour. There was an opinion piece online, for example, from a newspaper columnist with the headline, Why can I visit a DIY shop but not a museum? And some wag wrote in the comments underneath, because you can't plug a leak with a Grecian urn, which I really liked. <laughs> but what we're all missing, or going to miss, are our holidays. We can't quite rightly fly abroad, really, can we? I'm not sure we can. I don't even know that. And we aren't supposed to holiday here in England at the moment. Again, we're supposed to stay at home as much as we can. I know that. So I thought we'd have a sort of virtual vacation this week by taking ourselves down memory lane effectively and talking about the holidays we've had and the places we like or loathe. I'm sure we're all great world travellers so what are the favourite places some of you have all been to? Well it wasn't a holiday it was a work thing but when I was I think I was about 20 I'd never been abroad before we didn't take foreign holidays when I was a kid so my first trip abroad was for work and uh, I was working for IBM it was part of the university thing you did a year at a, a company and they had a well, they had offices around the world, of course, but one of them was in the south of France, just above Nice, at a place called Lagode, in the mountains just above Nice. And they sent me there in springtime, I think it was, and the sun was shining, and the air was crisp and clear, and I sat out on the balcony having my breakfast at this hotel, and I thought, this is the life, and if ever I manage to save up my pennies and can afford a little place to go and wither away and live out my days, it will be in the mountains above Nice, because that has very happy memories for me. I was about to say, can't you just take the boat? Aww. And then you mentioned the mountains bit, and I thought that might be a bit difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I went on holiday very near there, around Fréjou. Is it Fréjou and Cannes and Saint-Maxime? And I just remember the food being really good, but the waiters being incredibly rude. There was one night we we paid for a big meal with a either a very big note or lots of notes and waited for a quite considerable chunk of change, as we imagined it would be. And then suddenly the lights went off and we realised we were the last ones there just sitting outside. They'd all locked up and gone home and just left all the empty plates outside with us, which had some <laughs> style to it, I think. It's very French. It reminds me also that on the same trip... Um, when we went into the IBM office uh, at uh, wherever it was, Lagode, 
And the canteen, obviously you had your very typical French food, and afterwards they had their very typical French coffee, and then they all went into the very not-British smoking room, which was a little separate area of the canteen that was filled with so dense a fog from the cigarettes they were all smoking that you could barely see the person standing opposite you. And uh, that was my eye-opener to the differences between French and English culture. I have to say, I know this is like really boring, but the one thing I do notice when I go abroad in Europe is just how many people still smoke. Like you don't notice it so much in the UK now, but when you do go on holiday, like, mm. yeah, you're right. You go to a restaurant and like so many people just that. Has anyone uh, had any translation issues where they've like ordered the wrong thing in a restaurant? One of my favourite things that happened was uh, when I went to Italy with my friend, we went into a restaurant and we wanted some wine and we were looking down the menu and everything was just in like, it was like a carafe of wine. And we were like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm guessing that probably just means a glass. So let's just order two <laughs> carafes of wine and then like two litres of wine arrived. <laughs> Is that not what you're meant to order? I always order that. My friend went to Pisa and they couldn't find the Leaning Tower, which <laughs> isn't it just right there like the Eiffel Tower? So they were going around with their phrase books, kind of trying to say Leaning Tower Pisa, going Pisa, Pisa. And everyone looked completely confused, which sounds a bit <laughs> odd to me. And eventually this bloke kind of, it was like a light bulb went, oh, and you took them around the corner to a pizza restaurant. <laughs> we're being a bit unimaginative here really can we have somewhere a bit more exotic yeah i mean uh well my last holiday well kind of my lot my last holiday of last year was uh i went to india uh so i traveled across india started sort of like further up um in the capital and then we went down to the beaches of goa um and that was absolutely amazing um but what i wasn't actually expecting when i went to india were the number of people that wanted their photograph taken of me or with me, or taken of me, or just trying to sort of sneakily take a photo of me as you I just You know sort of why that is, don't them. you? It's because you've got a little blue tick. <laughs> it could be the tick. It's funny, actually, because I was thinking of getting it tattooed on me, but um, <laughs> I've changed my mind. Does it have the same power in Rajasthan as it has in, I don't know, Surrey? I don't know. I think blonde hair actually probably has more power than a blue tick does because uh, everyone kept telling me that I looked like an angel. So, and uh, nice <laughs> those line. of you who know what I look like, no, I probably don't look like an angel. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Can we come back to Alice then? Sorry, we, we didn't really get that far, did we? We got no. a couple of countries. <laughs> Sorry. I have, I've been to some <laughs> exciting places. Like, I went to um, Ghana, which was my first trip to Africa, which was um, amazing. Like, really, really recommend that. Um, and I've been to Australia and New Zealand and they were amazing too. But I was thinking about like my best holiday and um, we actually went to the Lake District um, at the beginning of last year. And I've never been that far north in the UK before. Um, so that was an experience in itself. But actually, like I just couldn't believe how stunningly beautiful it was. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, it reminded me of New Zealand just because it's, it's so beautifully green. The lakes are, are stunning and there's just so many nice places to walk and cycle and things. And I have to say, like, if you know, holidays in the UK are, are a thing, you know, for the next couple of years, then it's not the worst thing, to be honest, because there are some really, really beautiful places. Well, 
How about disappointments, places or things that just didn't live up to expectations or maybe disasters you had? Do we have any uh, listeners in Las Vegas, can you tell me, Derek? Possibly. We've got a few dozen in the United States. Again, we're very grateful and thanks for listening. We are, but with apologies to them, I did not like Las Vegas. I've been twice now, and the first time, again, this was lucky, this was another work trip, although for a different company. Work. And they sent us out to do... It work, work, in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were there, over, luckily, over the weekend when we, when we couldn't work. So uh, time to look around Las Vegas. And I thought, OK, this is very interesting, all these hotels and the shows and this kind of thing. Uh, but I wouldn't want to come here again. And then inexplicably, about 15, 20 years later, I found myself in Las Vegas again. And I thought, yes, I remember now, I didn't want to come here again. It was very hot. <laughs> All the hotels had this weird perfume being pumped round all the rooms of the hotels it made me want to vomit I don't know what it was um, and obviously <laughs> as you walk down the, the main strip it's part light show and part people pressing cards for all the prostitutes into your hand and that was not what I was there for well you must have got the special treatment because I went to Las Vegas it was there three days and I didn't have one single car <laughs> What am I? Chop liver. Well, they must have looked at me and thought, there's a man who doesn't get it very often. Let's um, give him a card. Whereas Edit that bit out. Suave, good looks. No, that's dangerous. <laughs> this freaky thing happened to me when I went to the United States. I went to the USA twice in five years. I went to Florida and I saw this sort of film set at one night. There weren't that many people, but it was like a proper filming in the street. And I had a look and John Travolta was filming and I could just sort of see him in the distance, but it was clearly him. And they said, oh, yeah, it's a John Travolta film. And then I went back to the States five years later and was in in New York. And it turned out I didn't know I was at the back of the New York film theatre or whatever. And there was a special showing and this car pulled up and it turned out to be to take the celebrities away so they didn't have to go out from the entrance. And bloody John Travolta came out again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but that's weird. That's some crazy juju stuff going on there. He tells the tale of how he was being pursued by Derek Johnson. But the funniest thing about the second time is uh, I was working for Hong Kong TV and it was, for some reason, the back of the New York film theatres near the Chinese embassy. I'm sure this must be right. I haven't gone back to check, but it must have been. And I was sitting on a step and everyone else was looking at the embassy and I was the only one who saw John Travolta, uh, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, and I think Martin Scorsese get into a car, and it drove off, and then you had to try and explain to everyone that they'd all missed Derek it. with his name drops <laughs> everywhere. I had a very similar experience in Australia when I stumbled across the cast of Home and Away filming on a beach. That's the end of that story. <laughs> That's real tumbleweed you can hear going. If it, if it was Neighbours, I would have been like, yeah, but home and away. <laughs> well, that's our Australian viewership just uh, decimated. My awful holiday experience um, was, wasn't quite as sunny. We went to um, Bruges uh, for my birthday. So that was in December a couple of years ago. And um, I thought that Bruges would be um, kind of like it is in the film, if anyone's seen in Bruges. Um, with a lot less swearing but I thought it would be all really pretty and like sort of fairy tale like nice kind of markets and all very sweet and sort of gothic looking and I got there and you walk down the high street and there's blooming H&M and a top shop and I just thought oh this is not not what I was expecting at all 
And then our flight got cancelled on the way home. So um, we didn't have a great time because we had to get a coach all the way back um, from Bruges. It was freezing cold and um, I will never be visiting there again, unfortunately. That was my worst holiday, I'd say. Talking about expectations that you didn't quite live up to, um, I went to Beijing and so I thought I'd better visit Chairman Mao's mausoleum in Tiananmen Square. It, it wasn't sort of so much looking at the embalmed body in the glass case that was a disappointment. Um, it, it was as waxy as I imagined that it would be. And bizarrely, when I was standing there, the thing that actually came into my head was that my mum used to say, never trust a woman with waxy skin. Um, and that's the waxiest person I've ever seen. Um, I think I have a very different idea to what constitutes a holiday compared to you, Derek. No, but what I was going to say was it was actually quite a sort of solemn experience. I mean, there were one or two people actually in, in tears. And, you know, I understand that because Mao Zedong led the Long March, founded the Republic, was seen by many as the saviour of the nation, even though he was responsible for a lot of insanity and terror. But it was the fact that there I was in this generally respectful, uh, solemn procession. And then when we walked out the back of the building, there was a bunch of very scruffy blokes in ill-fitting suits. Selling and, John and John Travolta. <laughs> there was John Travolta. Come on, keep up. But they're <laughs> flogging fags and lighters and tea towels. And it just seemed very out of keeping with the general sort of experience. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I kind of had similar. So my first uh, trip outside of Europe was to uh, Egypt to see the uh, the pyramids of Giza, which I thought was going to be amazing. We were all geared up. And then I went with some people from school, actually. And uh, we all got out of this coach and we stood there. And then my friend just turned to me and went, they're quite small, aren't they, really? And then we were all like, yeah. Sort of looked at them and we were like, yeah, they're actually quite a lot smaller than you expect them to be. It's thought, oh, it's fine, because then we go and see, you know, the giant sphinx or whatever. So I went over to see the sphinx and then it had scaffolding all around it, so I couldn't even see that. Oh, probably. that is the worst, isn't it? Um, like when you go to so see So yeah, maybe something. that didn't quite live up to expectation. Yeah, I had that as well in Barcelona. Is it the Sangrada de Familia or something, which is like one of the most impressive buildings sort of ever built? I'm sure that's how Yeah, it's something pronounced. like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but that was disappointing <laughs> as well. That had scaffolding all over it when I went. I've been a couple of times to Barcelona. It's, it's always um, had work being done on it. I was trying to sort of take a picture without getting the scaffolding in it, but it was pretty impossible. So, When I was in Beijing, a very nice Chinese woman came up to me and said, you look like huge Grant. <laughs> what a compliment <laughs> she mean like you look like Hugh Grant By the way, before but anyone put gets on a any... few pounds or... <laughs> before anyone gets uh, excited Derek does not look like Hugh Grant sorry Derek I've got the floppy hair at the moment Can we for a moment project ourselves back to last week? Because everybody, I'm sorry if this is a very public debrief, it was an episode that came with its own challenges, I felt. Alice, you basically didn't understand the premise at all, so we had to stop and then record again. Sean, meanwhile, had an absolute shocker. The sound on her recording, and we all record our own sound, was so bad that someone we know on Facebook said it sounds like a cattle bell is ringing in the background. 
I don't think that was even the worst of it because about three quarters of the way through the recording, Sean decided she actually had something much better to do than our podcast and left. So um, I was going to say, Sean, we had been talking before you left to do something more interesting about our careers as journalists, but you never expanded on that thing you mentioned briefly in podcast number one about having lots of people in your underpants. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I thought that's why I'd save it to episode three to get people to continue to listen. Well, we're talking uh, about places so, uh, we like to go. <laughs> it is actually related to travel, actually, too, in a way, because um, so basically I used to help run this event called Jailbreak when I was at university. Does anyone know what Jailbreak is? Yeah, I think we had a version yeah. of it as well. Is it where you sort of like drop people off in a certain place and then they have to find their way back? Is it like that? No, but it's kind oh. of the opposite. So you have no money and you have to basically try and get as far away, well, as far away from your university. Oh, it's like race possible. around the world. So ideally, yeah, but ideally out of the country. Um, so me and my flatmate, we actually uh, we actually managed to get all the way to Poland when we, That's uh, pretty good. When we did it, which was great. Yeah, um, but I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed it so much that I decided to help organise the event for the next year because it all, you know, raises money for charity and it was such good fun. Um, and as part of it, we decided that we wanted to break a world record. And I don't really know why. And yeah, I don't think I ever really understood why. But someone decided that the world record we were going to break was to get the most people in a single pair of underpants that we possibly could. Um, so they ordered a giant pair of underpants um, from someone. Are we talking XXL? Like XXL. Not like a comedy pair, like an actual just normal pair. No, like a massive, they would like a massive pair, like re- like the size of a football pitch. No, not that big. Like, <laughs> could you like buy it in the, the shops? I mean, is this an industrial pair of no. pants or could you actually go and yeah, buy Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I mean, we managed to fit about 300 people. I mean, we're in, wow. a Guinness Book of, we're in the Guinness Book of World Record somewhere. Where it was like you? 300 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at the University of Warwick. Um, I'm now yeah. looking it up. Uh, but yeah, anyway... Um, yeah, there is a picture which I can obviously show the rest of you. I don't really know how I'd show our listeners, but if you just imagine 300 people... We put it on the Twitter page you've already forgotten about. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Uh, what's the handle again, Derek? Uh, talk among yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Not the only one to forget it, then. <laughs> at Tish and Piffle, everyone. At Tish and Piffle. But that year, actually, anyway, um, so we managed to fit 300 people into a pair of underpants and then they all had to run off and get as far away as they could from the university. And then the winners that year actually ended up um, getting to the Gaza Strip, which we were all quite concerned about when they phoned us from the Gaza Strip to tell us that they were there. <laughs> we weren't sure if they were insured to get that far. I may not have been listening, hmm? but they walked all the way from England to the Gaza Strip in... No, they managed to get an airplane. <laughs> <Yeah, don't... laughs> <laughs> I was imagining in my Nothing head to that declare. they were still in the underpants as well, and they took the other like three hundred people with them, <laughs> and I was I'm so thinking. confused. <laughs> three hundred people the strip. from the University of Warwick on the Gaza Strip. <laughs> I've got a slightly related story, but not as funny. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> I never really understood what budgie smugglers were for. Just in case anyone doesn't know what budgie smugglers are, they are those particularly tiny swimming trunks come briefs. 
Um, and they've become a kind of comedy institution that you occasionally see some overweight gentleman in the Mediterranean wearing them. But basically, I had no idea what they were for and, or why they were made. But some friends of mine were, they were actually skiing somewhere and they went to a sauna in their, I think in their trunks or something. And everyone was absolutely aghast and said, you can't wear, you can't wear them. You've got to have your budgie smugglers. They're like, well, we, how would we get a pair? Why would we own a pair of budgie smugglers? So they actually had to go to the, the local shop where they had tons of budgie smugglers and wear them in the sauna. And apparently that is the thing. Wow. The guy who went to buy them bought a pair that he could fit in and then two extra small pairs, which is what I think <laughs> I would have done if you'd sent me out to buy some budgie smugglers. <laughs> I haven't told my being stung by jellyfish story because I assume Sean would have told her rival jellyfish story by now. So well, that's why I haven't told mine. Can we have a jellyfish, uh, jellyfish? Can we have a jellyfish showdown here? You first, please. <laughs> jellyfish off. <laughs> uh, so I, when I was about oh, I think eighteen or nineteen, I went travelling across Central America, and um, we it was it was called a volcano trail. So we had to go to we like travel around a lot of places that have volcanoes. What could possibly go wrong with that? I don't, well, I know. The volcano <laughs> I'd trail. like to live life on the edge. Way. <laughs> How are volcanoes related to jellyfish, you ask? Well, we end up going to an island um, off the coast of Honduras called Rattan. It's basically a Caribbean island, and it's possibly the most beautiful place we've ever been to in the world. Um, and one evening, we decided to uh, go out for... Um, drinks at some bars and things like that and then afterwards someone suggested that we all go for a swim in the sea so we were like yeah that's a great idea so obviously we'd all you know had a couple of drinks and we went for a swim in the sea and then we were all swimming around and someone went cool I think there might be jellyfish in here because I feel like I just just got stung or something and I thought oh I'm all right well I can't feel anything and then I got stung and I thought oh yeah I can feel something now uh, and it was about probably about 100 times worse than a bee sting it was really bad um, and then I sort of, because I've been stung and it really hurt, it was in my arm, I got out of the sea and uh, was like, oh, I'll just go and sit down. And then I started not being able to feel my arm and then I started not being able to feel my leg. Oh, wow. It was a bit of a problem here. And then ended up having, yeah, I ended up having to go to hospital and then I was put on a drip oh my God. overnight. Um, and apparently I uh, went into anaphylactic shock as a result of being stung by this jellyfish. Um, so I suppose that probably means I'm allergic to jellyfish stings. But I mean, I've not tried to find out any more about that to be honest did it but, leave um, a mark on your arm yeah because i've some sometimes i've seen when people get stung really badly like it actually almost scars your arm it looks like you've been burnt by something it's really awful yeah it did look like i've been burnt but it actually went away within like a week oh. or so um weirdly so luckily it wasn't lasting but yeah it was kind of blue oh. it was really weird um but yeah but i live to tell the tale um so what about yours derek can you beat that my story is similar but shorter um, I was in Mexico. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> I was in Mexico. And we went swimming in the sea and we were backpacking. So we were too mean to actually stay at one of these hotels. I'd failed to spot that nobody was on the beach or in the sea. And then I was with this guy from Australia and then we were in real pain. We So we came out of the sea and yeah, we found all these little strips were attached to our body and it was quite frightening. As you say, it's like somebody Ooh. slapped you only times about 100 if not more. And this chap actually couldn't see for a while. It was really freaky. So Oh, that's scary. We dragged ourselves to a nearby hotel and they went, duh, it's the 
jellyfish spawning season, which I thought was odd because the hotel was full. Why would you go to the coast on jellyfish spawning week? Maybe it was cheap. I don't know. But he recovered quite quickly, but I got worse and worse. I was having these terrible palpitations and stomach cramps. And I had to have an injection, but I can't have them in my arm because I'm too squeamish. So I had to endure the complete humiliation of being in the lobby of the hotel, again, with a, on a pant theme, with my pants down while he injected me in the <laughs> bum. With this I, think, I think I was injected in the bum for the jellyfish sting, actually. In a hotel lobby in Mexico, Sean. No, but in a hospital corridor in Honduras. You seriously couldn't bear instead to just have your arm injected? No, it's just one of those things. I've just got this awful thing about it. Terrible thing. Wow, I thought you had to get someone to pee on you when a jellyfish stings, but clearly it's much worse. I think it's something to do with lemon juice, but they tried that, but we were way beyond that by the time we finally um, reached help. But everyone was really nice. I like Mexico. (laughs) Although I was ill all the time. It's the kind of place that as soon as you land, you've either got fever or... or, (laughs) Felt ill all the time, but had a great trip. Lovely place. <laughs> 10 out of 10. I'm not sure we've really got to the bottom of the news of the day yet. Has somebody done something more interesting than... I'll tell you the news of the day. My mother saw a flasher. <gasps> I know. What? My sainted mother, 83 years old, walking around and a man had his todger out. I didn't know flashes were allowed out yet. I didn't think um, Boris had sanctioned that. I don't think they made a specific rule prohibiting one's todger from being (laughs) out. Maybe the man thought it was allowed, but there he was, dangling away. And uh, yes, Mama averted her gaze after a good look. Is she still in Afghanistan, uh, by the way, at this point, or is she back now? (laughs) I'm just surprised because one of the few times anybody has told me to edit something out so far was Dave, who didn't like a reference I made to his mum in podcast one that's not nearly as bad as her enjoying a flasher. <laughs> I didn't say she enjoyed the flasher. You can jolly well not leave that in. <laughs> she endured this man waving his willy around. What did she do? Did she just run away? She walked on by as as any (laughs) stern-minded British person would, tutting gently. Wow. (laughs) Anyone got a non-flashing news item? I mean, I had loads of flashing news items. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't quite explained that of all of us, Sean is the nearest one who has an actual proper breaking news job. So what great nuggets have you discovered this week? discovered a couple of interesting things actually um there's someone driving a van round east london which basically just delivers freshly poured pints of beer to people's doorsteps um which is pretty cool and i wish i lived in east london as a result of that because that would be great oh is this the one where there's a kind of tap on the tap on the back of the vehicle rather he's not just giving out bottles is he no, it's not, no. So it's got kegs inside and then it's got taps on the side so he pours people pints and then leaves them on their doorsteps. Which is like a cool. modern day milk person. Like a beer Robin Hood. <laughs> that was better. I also wrote a great story about how there was a man running away from some police and then he sort of dived into some bushes or into a forest or something, side of the road, and uh, police couldn't find him and they were looking for him and then they found him because they heard him fart. <laughs> 
and that's possibly my story of the week. Um, I quite enjoyed that one. Um, I think this is a theme with you because I remember once, well, normally I'm a very bubbly and jolly chap, but I remember once I was really down in the dumps and I don't know quite why I turned to Sean because I've since found out that she is the least receptive person when you're actually miserable. But she kind of went, oh, <laughs> if you want cheering up, I'm following a story about a man who had a dump in the road. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, it really did cheer me up. <laughs> I am quite cross to get serious for a moment, though, at the amount of people who seem to be ignoring lockdown, because I know we're laughing a lot, but it's quite a serious thing. But I was out mm. today with what I call the great unwashed. And, you know, if I hadn't got out of the way, they would have, you know, brushed my arm at every possible moment. Or is it just me ranting? Is this what this podcast has become now? It's like a Jerry Springer end of, end of episode rant. I think we should just end by asking Dave, who is the person among us on permanent holiday, let's face it. Do just you... because I live on a boat... And don't go anywhere. <laughs> and sit in the sun talking to the ducks. I just really want to know this, and everyone does, and I'm sure it's the question most people ask you. Is it like a holiday every day? No. Podcast, Dave. It's not question and answer. It's not multiple choice. <laughs> well, all right, it is like a holiday every day, to be perfectly honest. Yes, because in the sunshine... You're sitting there with the water gently lapping away at the side of the boat and the ducks and the swans and the geese and the moorhens and you sit in the well deck and have a nice gin and tonic. And then in the winter when it's cold you light the stove and the rain hammers down on the roof and it's like being in a cosy cottage. So, yes, basically, live in the dream. I was, um, I was thinking earlier actually that when lockdown gets lifted enough that we're all allowed out and we can actually meet each other in person because some of us haven't actually met each other yet. Um, can we come to your boat, please, Dave, and have a little like trip down down one of the canals? That would be excellent. And maybe do podcast a podcast recording as we go. Yeah, we yes. could do a special episode. Yeah, that would be we? brilliant. Live from the boat. I would love that. Worlds collide. Please, please do. What a beautiful thought, and maybe that's the image and the thought we should all end on today. Once again, we all got lucky and finished just about at the same time. Just time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Au revoir. See you later. Adios. There wasn't any more Let's in just that. go now. There was no more mileage in that, was there? <laughs> that well was dry, wasn't it? <laughs> I was enjoying that. Fish and Piffle is Sean Elvin, Alice Key, Dave Johns and Derek Johnson. It's a tied up with sticky tape and a bit of string kind of production, isn't it? Let's face it. We may be back or frankly, we might not bother. But hey, in the meantime, thanks for listening. <laughs>